Music marks the times of our lives, reminds us of days gone by, and inspires today's and tomorrow's hits. Hi, I'm Dee Dwayne, and welcome to The Real Deal, spotlighting the best music and the biggest artists of yesterday, providing an insight of just what made them so great. In the early 1960s, it was very rare, if ever, that you would see an African American on national TV. My auntie and my mother's friends would call my mom immediately if one of us were on TV so we wouldn't miss it. That's exactly what happened on December 27, 1964 when my mom said, turn to the Ed Sullivan Show on Channel 7 right now. Everybody in the family stopped what they were doing. We changed the channel and there they were. The Supremes performing their hit single, Come See About Me. Hi. We're the Supremes. I'm Diane. I'm Florence. And I'm Mary. We'd like to say hello to all our friends in Singapore and Malaysia. And thanks Thank for you buying, buying our records. Would you make a They wore simple dresses, matching bouffant hairdos, and I remember feeling surprised and proud. By the time they performed their hit You Can't Hurry Love on Ed Sullivan in 1966, the trio had gone from cute girls to beautiful women, showing off sequined gowns, glamorous hair, and impressive talent. Ed Sullivan was a huge fan of the Supremes, and he presented them more than 16 times on his show. It is our pleasure to present to you the most successful girl group of all time. Here comes the music and the story of the Supremes, right here on The Real Deal. The Supremes got their start in 1958 when 15-year-old Florence Ballard, a junior high school student living in the Brewster Douglas housing projects in Detroit, met Paul Williams and Eddie Kendricks, two members of a Detroit male singing group known as the Primes. Flo had a wonderful singing voice, as did Paul Williams' girlfriend, Betty McGlown. The Primes manager, Milton Jenkins, decided to create a sister group to the Primes called the Primettes. Florence recruited her best friend, Mary Wilson, who in turn recruited classmate Diane Ross. Here's the Supremes discussing the beginning. Well, we began singing when we were, um, how old were you, Florence? Fifteen. <laughs> no, you weren't. <laughs> she was fourteen and Mary and I were thirteen. That's right, seven years ago. A group by the name of the Temptations now, they were the primes at that time and they wanted us to be a sister group and we were the primates. Mentored and funded by Jenkins, the Primates began by performing hit songs by artists such as Ray Charles and the Drifters at sock hops and social clubs, as well as talent shows around the Detroit area. Eventually, they established a large and loyal local following and fan base. For the most part, Flo, Diane, and Mary performed equal leads on all the songs. Within a few months, guitarist Marvin Tarplin was added to the lineup a move that helped distinguish them from Detroit's many other inspiring artists by allowing them to sing live as opposed to lip-syncing. After winning the prestigious local talent contest, the Primates set their sight on making a record. In hopes of getting signed to Motown Records in 1960, Diane asked the Miracles' lead singer, Smokey Robinson, to help the group land an audition for Motown executive Barry Gordy. Smokey liked the girls, as they were then known around Motown, and agreed to help but he liked the guitarist even more. With the Primates' permission, he hired Tarplin, who then became the guitarist for The Miracles. Smokey Robinson arranged for the Primates to audition a cappella for Barry Gordy, but Barry felt that they were just a little too young and inexperienced to be recording artists. He encouraged them to return and try again upon graduating from high school. Betty McGlown became engaged and left the group. She was quickly replaced by Barbara Martin. 
Determined to leave an impression on Barry Gordy and join the stable of rising Motown stars, the Primest showed up at Hitsville USA recording studio every day after school. Eventually, they convinced Barry to allow them to contribute hand claps and background vocals for songs on other Motown artists including Marvin Gaye and Mary Wells. In January of 1961, Barry Gordy finally relented and agreed to sign the girls to his label, but under the condition that they change the name of their group. Barry gave Florence Ballard a list of names to choose from that included suggestions such as the Darlene's, the Sweet Peas, the Melodies, the Royal Tones, and the Julettes. Florence chose the name The Supremes, a name that Diane initially didn't like as she felt it was too masculine. Nevertheless, on January 15th, the group signed with Motown Records as The Supremes. In the spring of 1962, Barbara Martin left the group to start a family. Thus, the newly named Supremes continued on as a trio. Between 1961 and 1963, the Supremes released eight singles, none of which charted in the top 40. Jokingly referred to as the no-hit Supremes around Motown's offices, the group attempted to compensate for their lack of hits by taking on any work that was available at the studio. During these years, all three members took turns singing lead. Mary favored soft ballads, Florence liked soulful hard-driving songs, and Diane favored mainstream pop songs. Most of their early material was written and produced by either Barry Gordy or Smokey Robinson. Here's an early song by the Supremes written by Smokey where you can just hear their potential and the success that was yet to follow. Released in June of 1963, here's Breathtaking God on The Real Deal.
You can say that the will was invented for the Supremes, but things just still weren't rolling for them. Barry knew a change had to be made. Maybe a few changes. This is when writers and producers Eddie Holland, Lamont Dozier, and Brian Holland, otherwise known as HDH, were allowed to try their hand at working with the girls. The magic of this combination would create an unheard of success for everyone involved, especially the Supremes and Motown Records. Released on October 31st, 1963, when the love light starts shining through his eyes, was the Supremes' first top 40 pop hit. It eventually reached number 23 on the Hot 100 and number 2 on the Cashbox R&B chart. decided to keep Holland Dozier Holland on board as the group's sole producers from that point on. In late 1963, Barry Gordy chose Diane Ross, who began going by Diana, in 1965 as the official lead singer for the group. Florence and Mary were periodically given solos on the Supremes album tracks. In the spring of 1964, the Supremes recorded Where Did Our Love Go? 
HDH originally intended the song for the Marvelettes, who rejected it. The Supremes didn't like the song either, but they were coerced in recording it anyway. Well, it's a good thing they did because in August of 1964, Where Did Our Love Go became their first number one record on the charts as well as their first song to appear on the United Kingdom pop charts where it reached number three. My name is Dee Dwayne and you're listening to The Real Deal right here on TheHot12.com. rolling now and with that momentum came an unheard of 10 number one hit singles making the Supremes the most successful girl group of all time. Considered one of the most popular songs of the 20th century, Baby Love was the second of five Supreme songs in a row to go to number one reaching the top spot on the Hot 100 on October 31st 1964 and it stayed there for four weeks. Wow, success brings about change and even with their great success things were about to change for the Supremes. Yes, yes. 
They had a formula and a chemistry. Now this brings us back to that evening in December of 1964 and the Supremes first appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show. In his introduction, presenting the Supremes to the world, Ed Sullivan got flustered and confused and said, and now, here's the girls. <laughs> the Supremes would go on to make more appearances on his show than any other group. Here's the song that excited the nation, Come See About Me on The Real Deal. great success, the fact that Diana was given the lead vocal position in the group and that Barry and Diana were seeing each other romantically proved to be very hard on Florence Ballard. She became very angry and depressed and would sometimes threaten to quit the group. Soon, she turned to alcohol. Her heavy drinking, weight gain, and growing unprofessional behavior did not help matters and negatively affected the group. She began showing up late for rehearsals, concerts, and interviews and sometimes she wouldn't show up at all. Sometimes during concerts, she was so drunk that she was unable to control herself. Still, the group endured. The Supremes recorded Stop in the Name of Love in January of 1965 and it was released as a single on February 8th. The song was nominated for the 1966 Grammy Award for Best Group Vocal Performance. The Supremes' choreography for this song with one hand on their hip and the other outstretched in a stop gesture is legendary. Paul Williams and Melvin Franklin of The Temptations 
taught the girls that routine backstage in London. remember my sister singing that song trying to be the Supremes. <laughs> Back in My Arms Again was the fifth consecutive number one song for the Supremes on the Hot 100 holding on at the top from June 6, 1965 through June 12th. The idea of using Mary's and Florence's names in the song may have been partially due to Motown's marketing strategy of showcasing each individual Supreme.
As the popularity and success of the Supremes seemed to increase by the day, so did the tensions and the problems within the group. Florence's drinking increased and so did her weight and negative attitude. In addition to this, Diana started to separate herself from the group and was eyeing a solo career. It seemed like Barry Gordy was at her every beck and call. It must have been hard to be literally stuck in the middle. It was tough to be Mary Wilson. Mary loved Florence and Diana, but most of all, she loved the Supremes. Even though they were having problems, Mary knew that they were helping to take Motown to another level. Here's Mary Wilson discussing her perspective. When I met them, uh, it was like meeting the, the part of me that I wasn't aware of, but I could see that they, that they made me whole. Florence and Diane made me whole. Completed. They completed me. They made me whole. And I could see that. I was. That was one time in, in the crossroads where I said, whoa, okay, yeah, click, that's it. And I made this conscious decision uh, that uh, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And with them. Um, well, one thing, the Supremes in, in musical history, I think, could not be without Motown, could not be without Holland Dozier Holland, could not be without Barry Gordy. We were perhaps, um, in fact, I'll tell you this, most of the other groups at Motown or artists at Motown had hit records already. We were like the last to have a hit record. But I, what, I think something about us as human beings, something about us put us in front to be the vehicle, vehicle for everyone else to come through a certain door. A certain door. My name is Dee Dwayne, and you're listening to The Real Deal as we present the music and the life of the Supremes. Okay, let's see how much you really know about the Supremes. Here are five things that you, as well as I, probably didn't even know about the Supremes. Number one, before joining the Supremes, Cindy Birdsong was a member of Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells. Did you know that? No, you did not know that. I didn't know that either. <laughs> Number two. Mary Wilson stayed in the group from its beginning all the way to its end. Number three, at the end of Diana Ross's final concert with the Supremes, she introduced Gene Terrell, who was discovered and chosen by Barry Gordy as the lead singer. Well, according to Mary Wilson, the next morning after that concert, Barry Gordy called Mary telling her that he changed his mind and he wanted Sarita Wright to replace Diana Ross instead. Mary, knowing that that would be a stupid thing to do since the Supremes already began recording on a new album with Gene Terrell, strictly refused, and Barry Gordy at that time threatened to wash his hands totally of the group. Number 4. Florence Ballard was the oldest of the Supremes. Diana Ross was the youngest. And number 5. The song Baby Love was the Supremes' first number one hit in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Moving on. In April of 1966, the Supremes released Love Is Like An Itching In My Heart, which was their only song during this time that didn't reach the number one spot, peaking at number nine in May of 1966. My name is Dee Dwayne, and you're listening to The Real Deal right here on TheHot12.com.
Holland Dozier Holland went back to the drawing board and began to take the Supremes into another direction musically. You Can't Hurry Love is one of the signature Supreme songs and also one of Motown's most important and identifying releases. The song became the Supreme's seventh number one hit, topping the Hot 100 singles chart for two weeks and reaching number one on the soul chart for two weeks. I need love, love to ease my mind. I need to find, find someone to call mine. released in 1966 became the group's eighth number one single when it topped the Hot 100 Pop Singles chart for two weeks in November of 1966. The Supremes were creating history, reaching new heights, but unfortunately behind the scenes, experiencing some very turbulent emotional times.
weren't getting better for Florence, she was overwhelmed by depression and drunkenness. In fact, during the performance at the Flamingo Hotel in Las Vegas, she was replaced by Cindy Birdsong halfway through the show. Finally, in the summer of 1967, Cindy Birdsong replaced Florence for good. Around this time, the group's name was changed to Diana Ross and the Supremes. Change and departure were in the air at Motown. The Miracles became Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, and due to a royalty dispute with Motown, Holland, Dozier, Holland were unhappy and thinking of leaving Motown. Released in November of 1968, Diana Ross and the Supremes teamed up with The Temptations on this next hit. I'm Gonna Make You Love Me was written by Kenny Gamble and Jerry Ross. a man to do Oh baby I'll sacrifice for you I'll even do wrong for you Oh baby Every minute Every hour I'm gonna shower you With love and affection Look how it's coming in your direction supergroups, Diana Ross and the Supremes, along with The Temptations. With the departure of HDH, the song quality as well as the hits for the Supremes became few and far between. Due to the tensions within the group and stringent touring schedules, 
neither Mary Wilson nor Cindy Birdsong appear on many of the Supreme singles around this time. They were replaced on many recordings by session singers such as the Adantes. The changes within the group and their decreasing sales were signs of change within the music industry which prompted the departure of Diana Ross. Here's Diana Ross discussing her career and the Supremes. It's about the image, what we did during a time when it was really difficult for white America to accept black music. They called it race music. We were able to bridge a gap there. And it was such an, an amazing time that right now it's really a good idea that we can reclaim our legacy. I'm, I'm proud of what we stood for, very proud of what we stood for. Barry Gordy originally meant for the song Someday We'll Be Together to be a song to launch Dinah Ross's solo career. This is the reason why she's the only Supreme on the record. A number of candidates, most notably Sarita Wright, were considered to replace Diana. After seeing 24-year-old Jean Terrell perform, Barry Gordy decided that she would be Diana's replacement. Jean Terrell was signed to Motown and began recording with Mary Wilson and Cindy Birdsong. Eventually, in November of 1969, Diana Ross's solo career was publicly announced. Diana Ross and the Supremes gave their final performance on January 14, 1970 at their Frontier Hotel in Las Vegas. At the final performance, the replacement for Diana Ross, Jean Terrell, was introduced.
Supremes were the most commercially successful group of the 1960s and they are to this day America's most successful vocal group with 12 number one singles on the Hot 100. The original Supremes were America's sweethearts establishing standards and setting records that no other group has ever equaled. Not only did they open doors for Motown, they also changed this country's perception of African American culture becoming steady headliners at top Las Vegas venues and supper clubs around the world including the Copacabana in New York and London's Talk of the Town. They recorded in several foreign languages and drew huge audiences wherever they appeared. They were also important symbols of black success. As such, they were often seen at democratic political fundraisers and were specifically invited to attend the funeral of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968. The Supremes were international stars and sold millions of records all over the world. They toured the world becoming almost as popular abroad as they were here in the United States. Almost immediately after their initial number one hits, they recorded songs for motion picture soundtracks, appeared in the 1965 film Beast Ball, and endorsed dozens of products. At one point, they even had their own brand of bread. <laughs> the Supremes were twice nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Rhythm and Blues Recording for the song Baby Love in 1965 and Best Contemporary Vocal Performance for Stop in the Name of Love in 1966. Three of their songs have been named to the Grammy Hall of Fame, Where Did Our Love Go, You Keep Me Hanging On, and Stop in the Name of Love. The original Supremes lineup of Diana, Mary, and Florence were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1988. They also received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1994. They entered into the Vocal Group Hall of Fame in 1998, but their biggest impact has been seen and heard in groups such as The Three Degrees, The Emotions, The Pointer Sisters, In Vogue, TLC, and Destiny's Child. They also had a major influence on how artists and groups are presented and marketed. They've been copied and emulated by many, and if you watch and listen closely, you can still hear and see their influence in today's music. The Supremes are the real deal. My name is Dee Dwayne, and thank you for listening. The Real Deal is produced by Melody Productions, and we welcome your comments and ideas for future shows. We'd love to hear from you, so click that Contact Us button on this website and drop us a line. Always keep it real, and thanks again for listening to The Real Deal.